Do you need a fresh touch from God? Well, there is a remarkable Bible passage in Acts chapter 4 about healing and boldness. Actually, all the chapters of the Bible are remarkable and hold untold lessons for us. But today, I'm directed to look again into the important matter of boldly approaching the throne of God for healing help in time of need. Because so many believers desperately need a fresh healing touch from God. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The Apostle Paul gave us the inspiring imagery of running a good race in life much as these 3,000 participants in the annual Jerusalem Marathon. Lots of things are happening these days in Israel's ancient capital, and we're here with the Jerusalem Channel to keep you informed of the fast-paced events and news through our daily website updates and regular video reports and biblical teachings. To continue this viewer-supported ministry, we need your help. Please become a part of the Jerusalem Channel by donating. Just click the Donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. You can also donate by check to our U.S. address or our U.K. post office box. We're here to anticipate that one day soon we'll witness thousands running joyfully through the streets of the Holy City to welcome King Messiah. I'm Christine Darg. Do you need a fresh touch from God? I often need a fresh touch from God, and the key is being open to being led by the Holy Spirit in all things. Now, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 3, the apostles Peter and John were full of faith, and they also went faithfully just to pray in the temple. But along the way, they were confronted by a man who had been lame from birth. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the man was commanded to be healed, and the people glorified God for a great miracle. But as is often the case, the religious leaders were offended. They were disturbed that the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Peter and John were arrested and put in jail overnight, but not before many of the people had believed the gospel so that the number of new believers in Jerusalem totaled about 5,000. Then in Acts chapter 4, the next day the council of rulers and elders met, including Annas the high priest, along with Caiaphas, who were both complicit in putting Jesus to death. The council summoned Peter and John from jail and demanded to know, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, very ironically answered by saying, Rulers and elders of all our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a cripple? 
Do you want to know how he was healed? Well, let me clearly state to all the people of Israel that this man stands before you healed by the name of Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Now that was a bold statement. And what a statement of vindication for Jesus. You see, the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead vindicated all of his messianic claims to be the Son of God, the very Messiah himself. Never forget that through the resurrection, God put a seal on all the words and claims of Jesus forevermore. Now next, Peter quoted Psalm 118, verse 22, by saying that Jesus was the one referred to in that verse. The stone that you builders rejected, he said, has now become the chief cornerstone. Then Peter proclaimed, for there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they realized that they were just ordinary men with no officially recognized training in the scriptures. Although, of course, they had been trained by the rabbi of rabbis, Jesus himself. But the Jewish leaders also recognized the apostles as men who had been with Jesus. And because they could see the former cripple now miraculously standing right there among them, they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber to discuss amongst themselves what they should do. They said, it's clear to everyone living in Jerusalem that a remarkable miracle has occurred through them, and we can't deny it. But to keep this message from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn these men to speak no more in this name. So the council decided to sternly warn the apostles not to speak again to anyone in the name of Jesus. So they summoned the apostles again and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now, how would you or I have responded if we'd been in the shoes of Peter and John? How do we respond today when we're told to shut our mouths about the gospel? On the one hand, the scriptures tell us to be subject to rulers and authorities. On the other hand, there's the matter of conscience. Well, by now, Peter and John had already fully surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now their faith would be tested. Would they comply or remain loyal to their Lord and Savior? They knew they were most likely facing more imprisonment, scourging, or even death. But they stood their ground, and Peter and John replied majestically, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you and to obey you rather than to obey God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Bravo! That was their final answer. Well, the council made further threats, but finally they let them go because everyone was praising God for the miraculous sign, the miracle of the healing of a man who had been lame from birth for more than 40 years. As soon as the apostles were let go, they returned to their company of believers and reported everything that had happened. 
And now I want us to hear the prayer of the believers in Jerusalem, because we must learn to pray and to have faith like theirs. They prayed in Acts 4, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, creator of the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. And then they quoted Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah, that literally means. Psalm 2, in fact, is still the psalm of the hour because the nations are still raging against the rule and lordship of God's chosen Messiah, Jesus. And let it be stated very clearly, there is no other Messiah but King Jesus, and there never will be. Anyone who comes in the future claiming to be the Messiah before the second coming of Jesus, that person will be an antichrist, the anti-Messiah. Meanwhile, as far as spiritual warfare is concerned, Nothing has changed until Jesus returns, and he will return because the resurrected Lord promised to return, but only after the fullness of the Gentiles is completed in the church. Then he will return in order to finish his mission to restore the kingdom to Israel. Now, as the believers in Jerusalem continue to pray, they made a specific petition. They prayed, and now, O oh Lord, hear and take note of the threats we have received and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Yes, indeed, Lord, that's what we need today, great boldness. And then they asked God to stretch forth his hand with healing power so that more miraculous signs and wonders would be done. They prayed for great exploits through the name of Jesus. Amen. What a powerful prayer. And why aren't we using this prayer? What do you need today? Do you need a miraculous healing? Then let's ask the Lord, Lord, stretch forth your healing hand with great power that signs and wonders will be done today through the name of your holy child, Jesus. Well, their prayer was so powerful that the place where they were meeting literally shook with the presence of God. God himself was saying amen to their prayer by sending an earth tremor, signaling his approval of their faith. The place was shaken that their faith might not be shaken. God granted the believers greater degrees of his Holy Spirit, and they were all filled with the Spirit, enabling them to speak the word of God with great boldness. Do we need this infilling of the Holy Spirit today as we're surrounded by so much apostasy and opposition to the gospel? Yes, indeed. The whole church was strengthened by this event because courage is contagious. The place was shaken, perhaps by a mighty wind which happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.2. This sign and wonder of an earthquake was similar to the signs and wonders on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had come as the sound of a mighty rushing wind and with flames of fire setting on the heads of the believers in the upper room. Twice I've been in outstanding prayer meetings in Israel involving similar signs, once in Jerusalem and also out in the desert near Qumran, when the wind became so strong and violent that the palm trees bent 
And all the people kneel down out of reverential fear of the presence of God as we petition him on behalf of Israel and the nations. And in Jerusalem on another occasion, many of us prostrated ourselves upon the floor because the winds were so violent as we prayed. Well, in Acts chapter 4, the believers were filled again with the Spirit and the earth shook beneath their feet. And in Acts chapter 16, a similar marvelous answer from prayer was granted to a prayer with an earthquake. And I'm speaking, of course, of the shaking of the prison at Philippi, where Paul and his travel companion Silas were in prison for their faith. They had been thrown into the inner prison, a dungeon, and their feet were fastened in stocks in an agonizing position. Nevertheless, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening, when suddenly there was a great earthquake so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains were unfastened. I hope you know the sequel to that story, how the Philippian jailer was converted. Seeing such a miracle of destruction and fearing for his own life, the jailer cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answered with the gospel in a nutshell. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And I'm going to give you that verse, Acts 16.31. In the Amplified Bible, which says, Believe in the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior and entrust yourself to Him, and you will be saved, you and your household, if they also believe. And so Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord concerning eternal salvation through faith in Jesus to that jailer and to all who were in his house. At that very hour of the night, the jailer had washed their wounds and he was baptized, he along with his household. Well, when we earnestly, boldly pray, there is great power and believers' spirits and bodies are mightily strengthened. Houses and jails are rocked. In England, we spent some time a number of years ago holding meetings with the Chinese evangelist, Brother Yoon, known by the title of his book, The Heavenly Man. Brother Yoon had suffered in communist prisons, but the prayers of the Chinese believers literally opened prison doors, and he escaped. And one of Brother Yoon's ministry associates also told us of his own time of imprisonment for the sake of the gospel, and how his prayers had caused his prison door to fall down flat, and a thick glory cloud descended upon the prison and he found himself transported outside to a nearby forest, enabling him also to escape. Let's never forget and let's learn this lesson that when we pray boldly, even the natural order of things can be shaken, mountains can be moved, enemies frightened, and they'll back down sometimes, and churches can be revived. The angel of the Lord is able to shut the mouths of lions or supernaturally break chains. So Peter and John were emboldened for further exploits in the service of His Majesty the King, King Messiah Jesus. The commentaries say that Peter and John had tried God and found Him faithful, and they were ready to try Him again.
And this is how we move from strength to strength and from faith to faith. For example, in the Hebrew Bible, David, the shepherd boy who became king, was emboldened to challenge the giant Goliath in battle because God had already taught David how to fight beasts. David wasn't afraid of Goliath because he had already delivered his flock from the claws of a lion and a bear. You see, faith grows by using it. That's the law of use of the gift of faith. It only takes one living word that you really believe from this Bible to effect healing. And when you find a Bible promise and declare it in faith over your life or over the life of somebody else, God sends that word and delivers you or that person that you're praying for from destruction. When it comes to healing and miracles, I'm certainly not a sensationist. In fact, the heresy of sensationism is the erroneous doctrine that spiritual gifts, such as healing and miracles, ceased with the apostolic age. But the claiming that the Bible promises were legitimate only for the days of the apostles boils down to plain unbelief. To claim that God's power has ceased or is limited greatly hinders the progress of the gospel. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever if we will believe Him and His promises. And since God Almighty is the one who heals, we should take the liberty, as we're directed by the Holy Spirit, to have the faith to pray for people with all kinds of sicknesses, looking, of course, to God to stretch forth His hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders. Let's choose to believe that God honors our faith at all times, However, our detractors, people who mock divine healing, often taunt us by saying that if God is a healer and if God is willing to use us as healers, then why don't we just go down to the local hospitals and lay our hands on people willy-nilly or anoint everybody with oil and command them all to be healed? Well, no, it just doesn't work that way. In the Bible, it didn't work that way haphazardly without specific direction, and it doesn't work that way now. Faith must be involved, particularly faith in the hearts of somebody, either faith in the heart of the afflicted person or faith in the heart of the minister. But most of all, divine direction must be involved. Even Jesus did only what he saw his father doing. Jesus followed God's directions. He didn't act presumptuously on his own. He followed his Father's lead. And we also must be directed by the Holy Spirit of God in everything we do and say. One of the greatest compliments you can ever hear about a person is that he or she is a prayerful person. Well, there are lots of sick people in the world and we can't expect to heal them all. After all, we're just one human being. We must be divinely led to achieve specific exploits. And the fact of the matter remains that not everybody wants to be healed in the first place. Think of that. You could go to a hospital and announce, I'm here to pray for you. And while some might gladly accept your prayers, many others would mock, some would yawn, some would spurn you, and some would be offended and might even despitefully try to turn you over to the police. It's not our job to save all the world, although we wish we could, but realistically, the works that we do must be spirit-led. 
because God knows the hearts and conditions of all men. In a parable, Jesus warned us not to cast our gospel pearls before the swine of this world. Not everyone is to be approached. He knows who is a reprobate. He knows who will listen. He knows who is open to hear the truth. And he also knows who will respond in faith and who will not respond. This matter of faith can't be emphasized enough. And we must diligently build our faith by hearing the word of God. Just this week, somebody wrote to me for prayer saying that she couldn't kick a lingering cough. She wrote, I've claimed the Lord's healing to be manifested in my body, and I refuse to believe that any weapon formed against me will prosper, but I can't kick this cough. Now hang on a minute and ask yourself, what is wrong with that message? On the one hand, she claims she's diligently trying to believe scripture, but on the other hand, She's being negative. She's saying it just won't happen. Her unbelief is canceling out her own prayer. My response was, you are indeed confessing scripture, yet you're not really believing in the power of the Lord, our healer. This is because you're saying you just can't kick that cough. Well, according to the word of God, you can kick the cough if Romans 8:11 is a reality in your life. That wonderful verse says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, notice the if here, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Messiah Jesus from the dead will also give life. That means healing and health. He will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives within you. I pray that this will help you. If you're spirit-filled, rejoice that the spirit of the living God actually lives in your bodies and has the power to regenerate any cell and to keep your spirit and soul and body preserved, complete, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Well, I've just quoted one of my very favorite verses for divine health. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Another comprehensive verse that I love that I share all the time with people who need strength and vitality is Deuteronomy 33:25. That verse promises, as your days, so shall your strength be. I pray that I will never stop believing this verse every day of my life. We all have days when we're being attacked by tiredness or symptoms of sickness, and it's easy to give in to fear. But make a conscious decision to let faith arise. Let's always continue to believe that our God is a merciful, healing God. Let's have the presence of mind to stay in God's presence and to emulate the dauntless courage of the apostles. We need our own Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit is available. The apostle Peter said, even to all who are far off, meaning even to our own generation. The apostles were not wealthy. They certainly didn't have social status, but God was with them, and that's all that mattered. When they preached, the Lord confirmed his word with signs following. This was God's method and means of encouraging them, and God has not changed. He wants to encourage us also to step out under his direction. The good news is that Jesus was anointed to be the Savior of the world. Therefore, it was determined that 
He should be a sacrifice on the cross to make atonement for our sin. The gospel of Jesus, the true Messiah, has the power to save you and your loved ones and also to heal you, to deliver you from sickness and depression, to lift you up. But the decision to receive him and his forgiveness is yours. You have to make your own salvation sure by making a conscious decision to surrender your life to the Lord and welcome his Holy Spirit into your life and soul. The Bible teaches that if you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved, healed, preserved, made whole, and delivered from eternal perdition. But Jesus also solemnly told us that if we're not willing to forsake everything for him, we cannot be his disciples. Evangelist Billy Graham once said that if he had his life to live over again, he would emphasize in his preaching, not just making a decision to follow Jesus, but he would emphasize the importance of discipleship. Well, these turbulent last days in which we're privileged to live are certainly a time to get serious with God by following the Lord wherever he leads us and by doing the specific exploits that he leads us individually to do while watching earnestly for the coming of the Lord. Dangerous times demand serious discipleship. So if you have any questions about the gospel or travel in the Holy Land, I invite you to contact me via the social media or at our website, exploits.tv, where you can click online to receive our free color newsletters called Exploits. The name Exploits comes from Daniel 11.32, which says that the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and will take action, as the Hebrew says. That means we'll do the exploits of the Lord. I also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store and pray about coming with us on one of our Holy Land adventures and prayer tours. When you visit Israel, the Bible literally comes alive. I believe that every believer should have the privilege of visiting the Holy Land at least once because it will greatly benefit your spiritual life. A visit to Israel is a spiritual investment. But it's important who you go with, so come with us. And by the way, also at our website at exploits.tv, you can find a whole page of resources of various ebooks that I've written on many topics such as spiritual warfare, healing, the controversy of Christian Zionism, Bible prophecy, signs of the coming of Jesus, the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Many teachings are there that will benefit your spiritual life. One to come very soon is on how to be a watchman. So keep looking at that page at our website and download our eBooks. Well, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. Maranatha.